Welcome back to Behind the DM Screen, where three DMs helping each other out. It is, what is this, March? March of 2016. We're talking about our games, and and so I am setting the timer, 15 minutes on the clock, and Sam gets to go first. Ready, set, go. All right, well, I had the final session of my Planescape, Gloomrot, Sigil, City of Brass, Castles and Crusades game. And, um... Everybody Go ahead. As in, everybody died. No. I thought it was going to end with a large battle in one of the one of the parts of Sigil uh that had either either in Gloomrot or in the City of Brass that had been, you know, translated into the third of the Sigil ring. Um and it didn't because the group uh got around it. They figured out how to uh, go find a contact and give them some uh, some artifacts that were needed and have them take care of the mess so that the, uh, the party could go home. Because at the very beginning of the, um, of, the, of the campaign, only one of them was from Sigil. Only one PC was, was actually from Sigil. And the rest of them were sort of transported to Sigil for some reason that was unknown to them, and a few of them had um, a light amnesia about their past. They knew that they weren't in the place that they're from, but they couldn't really... It was, like, very hazy, uh, and as time went on, they were remembering more and more about their own pasts, and most of them had the goal to get back to their own home plane. And so at the end, instead of taking the artifacts that they had retrieved and going and trying to deal with either the leaders of Gloomrot or the Sultan of the City of Brass, they actually um, went to one of their contacts who was a deva who was um, worked for the Lady of Pain in Sigil and uh, let him deal with it and got bargained with him and got him to create a portal uh, which at that time was kind of illegal because you're not supposed to have any portals anymore and, until they clean up the city of Brass and Gloomrot. And they got they got him to make a special temporary portal that would allow them to get to their home plane. So no humongous battle. It sounds very anticlimactic, but it was very awesome because the group worked together and decided what to do and and spent a lot of time figuring out how they could bargain and deal and and try to make it so that every person got what they needed and every part of the city was satisfied. Uh, but then at the end, they just kind of said, all right, we're going home. Forget it. Goodbye. <laughs> you guys could deal with your own mess. So by so. by making that bargain, did they give that Deva and the Lady of Pain an advantage in getting rid of both of the others? They gave them the artifacts that they needed to be able to make a deal with one of the so it came out in the session that uh, the people of Gloomrot and the leaders at Gloomrot didn't even really want to be in Sigil or in the place of Sigil. But what happened was there was a an ambassador in the in Gloomrot that actually was from the city of Brass and had kind of tricked the leaders of of Gloomrot and 
got them to sort of go in on the deal and and put some power towards the whole transaction that caused the the displacement of sigil in the first place and they realized they had been duped and so um the lady of pain and her her faction her her group could actually um they actually had a sort of a, a hand up in that particular situation because by the time all of this went down, the people in Gloomrot were starting to be very upset because they didn't want to be there. They wanted to go back to the Shadowfell. And so the Lady of Pain had a bargaining chip because she could help them do that, but only if they helped uh, get rid of the City of Brass portion mm. of the city. But the party did not have to go and do it because of their own machinations. Mm-hmm. So it was it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. It felt it sounds like it's anticlimactic and it felt a tiny bit anticlimactic. But as I thought about it and as we sort of finished up and and rounded up and and everybody, all the PCs got to go back to their home plane. uh, It was very satisfying for for many of the PCs. Mm. Now, the guy who's who's played the PC from Sigil, he's kind of like, hmm, you know, uh, now I'm left what, cleaning up this mess. Know, yeah, right? I'm left cleaning up this mess. But the thing is that he's also the player who loves the political intrigue of it. So mm-hmm. I could completely see running a one shot every now and then and sort of like saying, okay, let's visit Sigil again and see what's going on mm-hmm. and having him play that same character and having, you know, the other, the other, you know, group members play other characters from Sigil, not, not their previous characters who got to go back to their regular planes. So it, it it actually left it open because they did not actually resolve the entire sigil issue. They did resolve their own issues, but they didn't resolve everything. It left it open that we could revisit it if we wanted to if we wanted to later. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of leaves things in limbo, which is really great because it makes it so that in my homebrew world, I can actually mess with things a little bit and make some alterations that I wanted to make so that it reflects what happened on a planar scale to the sigil and all the portals. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so it was very exciting. So, and now... Uh, what, what I was going to ask what was next, but it sounds like you're going to talk about that. Well, what's next is, I think, um, I am going to run Numenera, but I'm not running in that world. I'm going to run in a Gamma World setting. Uh, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to use a microscope... And we're going to cooperatively build the world. So the first session is going to be the group using microscope to determine the history of the setting leading up to the point where something happened and created an apocalypse. And then we're going to decide how far beyond that apocalypse do we want to play this game and what elements, you know, what elements do we want in the setting, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm going to let them you know, play. I mean, I don't know if anybody knows if you yeah, guys. What is know. what is microscope? Microscope is a um, short game by Ben Robbins, and basically, what it is is it's a he calls it a fractal role playing game of epic histories, and and really, it's kind of like um, it's almost uh, like in the it almost feels like a like fiasco. You guys know fiasco, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. except it's not like a here's a wacky caper thing where everybody puts everybody else in weird positions. Instead, it's a it's it has a um, a framework that allows you to determine the history of a setting of of the world in a very similar way to how fiasco kind of works. So you determine like the beginning point and the end point, 
and then you, you spend scenes on uh, picking up something sometime in the middle of that, and you can either like pick an event that occurred, or you can pick like a particular family that 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 something happened to, and you you talk through that, and and everybody discusses like what happened and what's so important, and and then you know. Through that, you end up creating this sort of framework of history, and then you go back and you decide what are the most important elements of that, and you you do this thing where you list out, like, here are the things that we definitely want to see in the setting that's based on this historical kind of document that you have. Um, but you do it all with three-by-five cards, and you lay it out, and you end up with this really cool timeline, and everybody gets a say in in some major thing that happens – Wait, and three by five cards. Mike is sold. I love three I by five I, I, cards. I figured he would. I figured he would do that. Um, I'll throw a link in the uh, in the window, and then we'll put it in the show notes for everybody. It's really cool. It's not actually written as a setting design. Uh, you know, specifically for setting design, it's actually written as a game where you're telling a historical. You know, because you can pick any length of time and any setting and any kind of parameters that you want, and then you can pick any amount of detail that you want. And it's usually set up for four players, but you can expand it to five if you're doing like a setting generation thing. And now my players don't know I'm doing this, and by the time this gets released, we'll probably already have done it. So that's not, I'm not spoiling anything, but um, it's really, really cool way to do it. And actually, uh, Ben Robbins just recently um, released a, a supplement for the game. I mean, the game's like it's like a, it's digest sized and it's like eighty pages, so it's it's not even you know it's not like a giant three hundred page rulebook or something. Um, and then he released a supplement just recently that has sort of guidelines for for doing a setting in your role playing game. And I actually know several people who have done this in their games. And the really cool thing about it is that because all the players are involved and they all get to kind of pick some major things that happened or they can determine the major races, they can determine major events in history, they can they're going to get to determine what caused the apocalypse. It really actually um you know, it creates a lot of buy-in f- for the players. So We'll see how that goes because I'm not sure how well they're going to like Numenera as a system. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that they like the setting that they're created. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Not that I think they'll dislike Numenera, but I, I think the system has a couple of uh, weird kind of things that need to be tweaked that that they're going to ha- be a little uncomfortable with at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, have, you, have yeah. you looked at the cipher system just straight out rather than picking Numenera? Or is Numenera close enough to the kind of world you want to run that you figure you might as well just stick with that? Yeah, I've actually looked at Cipher System, Numenera, and The Strange because right. um, the thing, the reason I'm picking Numenera is because I have the character options book, and right. the I have the character options book for The Strange, and those include lists of mutations because they, the group said they wanted a very like a Gamma World type thing. They wanted a Gamma World game, but I didn't want to use any of the Gamma World systems, so. That's why, right. and 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 several members of the group have Numenera, and I'm not sure when we would ever get to get it to the table otherwise. So that's why I decided. That. And then it has the everything's ready made, and it's so easy. I mean, there are benefits to. I you know I said earlier I'm not sure they're going to like it, but I have looked at it extensively. It's a very simple system actually. Yeah, but it right. has some quirks with it. But it's really easy to fiddle with in terms of mutations and powers and you know, yep. doing different things. And, and so I think it's really going to be good for the system. But yeah. I didn't want to spend a bunch of time doing some uh, world building and then connecting it to Numenera 
and then having them not really like the system or the setting or or some aspect of that, and then I'd feel like a waste of time. So instead, I'm letting them create the setting. So right. do you have any vision of storyline at this point, or are you waiting to do that until you get further along? I really don't. I'm trying to not like okay. have um, – so I do have – one of the things I have is I have all of the um, – the 3.5 edition, or the, the the sort of um, D20 modern version of the Gamma World books. Okay. Now, the, the system that they did for that isn't that great, but they have a couple of really great source books, and one of them has um, the community building rules in it, and the community building rules in that source book are really, really cool. And you can set all these parameters, and, and you can, you know, generate information really quickly, and it fits, like, you know, on a 3x5 card, Mike. And... It's, it's your community right there, and you can sort of set up a, a little kind of pseudo map, and you have these communities ready made, just like you would do for like an NPC. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that you know, that I have that, and so I have these all these sources I'm using, um, but I'm not sure exactly like what the main storyline is going to be, and I'm trying to not really envision that. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what the apocalypse is going to be. So the group is deciding that. Mm-hmm. And once they decide that and they – you know, and one of the things that you do when, when you're doing this is because you're kind of deciding on the parameters, people can absolutely veto something. And on the other hand, they can also absolutely say this is going to be in the setting in this game. Mm. And so that'll give me a lot of input as to what they want to see in the game. But then I'll have a lot of leeway in terms of the storyline and the campaign, you know, after that session. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to run that session. It's probably going to take about two or three hours and then we'll do some character creation. And then I'll probably, you know, maybe we might do some, you know, tweaking and, and figuring out and just running like a little short play test of a little combat or something. And then I'll go away. And then when we have the second session, I'll sort of start the campaign. Yeah, that's, that's smart. I think the one time mm-hmm. I've done a really open sort of collaborative uh, setting building like that, I already had a sort of, I was pl- I was running. Uh, it was the playtest, uh, the next playtest, and I was running the Caves of Chaos because that's all we had for adventures at the time. Right. And so, so I was like, I'm gonna have this adventure, but I'm gonna have this whole collaborative sort of setting building thing, and it just didn't work because they wanted to build stuff that didn't fit the, <laughs> the story. Right. And um, there's Wrong. a lot of luck of that. Right. Right. <laughs> like, well, right. And so, so I, like. What about an ice queen? There's no ice queen. Wrong. So, I, so right. So I'm trying to yeah. I'm trying to futz with it and change things and fix things uh, or whatever on the fly, but that leads to a lot of high prep, and I wasn't interested in high prep for a playtest game. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, and so and that's one of the benefits of this too is I don't have to prep anything for the setting. Right. You know, once they once the sort of the the timeline is in place and we know what's happening. I can do, you know, a lazy DM style campaign prep. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm shooting for because I just really don't have a lot of time these days. Yeah, my current system of, of setting creation um, is a nice hybrid of the two, right? Where it's, it's um, you know, I, here's the map, but then I'm leaving a lot of gaps uh, in mm-hmm. terms of what's going on or what's where and who's what and what's the villain and all that kind of stuff. But they're creating it because I'm asking them questions. Right. So they're not going to throw me too much for a loop because I because I'm asking things like okay, who's the the big villain threatening your your homeland, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I get the villain that I need, and I can just reskin whatever else is there, and they get to create that that element, right. you know. What was really there was there's a really cool system as part of the Dresden Files RPG mm-hmm. 
where you do you know you do character building and you entwine intertwine all the characters and all that um and that's that's awesome but uh it, that really works especially in that system but you know you you can tweak it and do whatever but what's really cool about the creation setup in that game is you do a a town setup or a location setup mm-hmm. and everybody kind of gets a say and you end up designating safe spaces like like you know here is the place where your your one ally lives and generally the bad guys stay away from that and here is the place where there's unknown things going on and you know that it it's a neutral territory and here over here this is this mysterious stuff going on you're not really sure what it is and over here is you know the guild hall for the bad group you know kind of thing um and it it sort of fleshes things out, but it leaves enough open that the players are still kind of in the dark as to what the motivations are of the main villain and all that kind of thing. So that really works, but it's a little too specific for what I'm doing because I don't think I'm going to, they're not probably going to stay in the same mm. major region, you know, in the same sound, uh, city region. They're going to, they're going to probably roam the world for a little bit so they can check out what's sure. going on. So that, that doesn't really work for this setup that I'm going to try to do, but it is really cool. So if anybody has, uh, you know, has had exposure to that, it's a really great kind of thing to do. Even if you're not playing Dresden Files, you can play some other game, but that setup, it, it walks you through how to do that. It has little worksheets. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Very good. And you couldn't hear it, but your time actually went off uh, a while ago, but my, oh, ringer, my ringer was re- real low, so uh, mm. you couldn't hear it. But that's okay. I did not realize that. No, that's fine. <laughs> so since uh, my, Sam's time is over, and since he mentioned, I'm pretty sure you mentioned microscope on a previous or microscope on a previous episode because I remember I, looking it up. Yeah. Uh, and I don't remember if I picked it or not, but I'm going to pick it this time as my noble knight pick of the episode. They are Yay! back as our sponsor. Awesome. Um, and they have microscope originally published in 2011, although still in print. Uh, and since it's still in print, it's pretty close to full price. So it's about 20 bucks for the game. Um, so there you go. You can get a brand new copy from Noble Knight uh, for normal price. Make sure when you go there, you tell them the Tome Show sent you. And everybody say thanks to Noble Knight. Thank you. Thanks. Hello. I'm RPG podcasting celebrity James Intracasso. As you know, my life is awesome. My gaming collection is filled with out-of-print goodies no one else can seem to get their hands on. I have plenty of free time to record podcasts, write blog posts, play games, and hunt the most dangerous game. I have tons of extra cash, which is evident in my caviar-filled swimming pool for the guest house of my third home in the Swiss Alps. And my mother is proud of me because I managed to do all this while supporting small businesses. My secret? NobleKnight.com a brick-and-mortar game store that has a great online presence. So I feel good shopping there, but I can buy anything, anytime, just by walking to my computer. I don't even need to put on my gold-plated pants. At Noble Knight, they have new and out-of-print products at a discounted price to give me more cash for reckless celebrity activities like bear shaving. And Noble Knight will buy back the old products I'm not using anymore which funds my tiger shaving. So, if you want more money, more free time, a better game collection, and a better you, check out noblenight.com, where out of print is available again. And tell them Big Jimmy from the Tome Show sent you. Can I ask questions to Sam? Fine. (laughs) Uh, How did you like Castles and Crusades? 
I love Castles and Crusades. But, you know, I'm an old first edition player, so Castles and Crusades is very, very much is honed to that style of play. Mm-hmm. But it has it has a lot of uh, sort of modern mechanics. It's a D twenty based system, so it flows really well. It has ascending AC, uh, mm-hmm. but the the classes have a first edition feel, and the the saving throw system has a has a first edition feel with some tweaks that don't make it stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, does so. it, how do you feel it compares to five E's? It's five E sort of headed back in that direction. Um. Well, actually, you know, the 5e saving throw system is is quite a bit like Castles and Crusades. Mm-hmm. Um, Castles and Crusades is an attribute-based system, so everything is an attribute check. Mm-hmm. And if... Which is basically 5e. Right. If you didn't know it, if, if all you had was... If you had Castles and Crusades and then you read 5e, 5e is like second edition Castles and Crusades. Huh. Like, it's it, there's a lot of close things there. Um, the feel of 5e is a little bit different, though, but I think the feel of 5e is different because 5e also has a lot of 3rd edition-isms in it and some 4th edition-isms in it. And in Castles and Crusades, you don't have a lot of that. You don't have easy healing. You don't have quick mm-hmm. healing. Um, the spells are much more traditional spells. There's not spell slots. It's much more Vancian right. uh, in some ways. Memorize. So, Memorize three copies of Magic Missile. Right, right. So it, it does it – does, that's why I say it feels much more like first edition. Mm-hmm. So I think fifth edition is um, very close to Castles and Crusades or – yeah, because fifth edition came later. So, right. But I, I, they are definitely different games. Uh, they have definitely different feels. The, the party, the players, the PCs, let me say, the PCs in fifth edition get much more powerful much more quickly. Mm. Um, the PCs in Castles and Crusades don't get as powerful as quickly, if at all. It's still very deadly. Mm. Um, they did away with most of the things that are like save or die stuff. Like it, so it feels like first edition, but there's none of that less, kind less of silliness. Yeah, yeah, there's there's less of that silliness in there. Mm. Um, but it's still you can play it as a very deadly game, and healing is very slow. Whereas 5th edition, you know, you have hit dice and you have an easy ability to heal yourself. 4th edition, everybody had, you know, healing surges. Too many hit points. You know, know, yeah. So so it's very different from both of those games, I Mm -hmm. think. But 5th edition is very, very close to Castles and Crusades. So it's kind of uh, 5th edition, but if you want a 5th edition that's a lot grittier, you know, then this would fit that mold. Yeah, and you can play it very high fantasy, and you can play it very low fantasy. It works for either one of those. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Very good. So we've already done the ad. Is it my turn now? Sure. All right. So um, as you know from previous episodes, I'm not only playing my regular game now, but I'm running a, a club after school with kids. Um, I'm primarily on here talking about my regular game, but if we ever end up with some extra time and want you guys wanted to t- – to, hear about the the games I'm running with my kids. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Um, I'm willing to talk about that, too. We're doing Fantasy Age uh, slash Titan's Grave with one group and um, D&D Freeport with the other one. That's awesome. So yeah, either way, Green Ronin is getting a lot of love from my uh, after-school club. <laughs> I think we could uh, we could talk about that. Yeah, we could probably have a special... Yeah, and, we, and, and or I mean, we always give our, give each other fifteen minutes to to talk, mm-hmm. so that, that usually leaves leaves us with a little extra time. So we yeah. can always do that sometime, and we don't play super often, so it's not a huge deal. 
But in any case, my regular game is my my post-apocalyptic fantasy Earth um, mashup game with uh, the Rod of Seven Parts, the original Freeport trilogy, uh, Out of the Abyss, and Princes of the Apocalypse all mushed together <laughs> in one world, right? Cults! Right, There's cults everywhere. Well, and that's and that was kind of the idea, right? Is that I looked at all of these and they all deal with some sort of you know imprisoned, or most of them deal with some sort of imprisoned you know uh, being of chaos that all the gods sort of decided couldn't be around anymore, or or some sort of greater evil or what have you. So I decided that they were all the same thing under the same under a different name. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only difference, the only one that doesn't really fit that is um, out of the abyss. But I don't know. there's there's all like the you know the well demon there's, there's the demon lords right so I figured that they could not be that thing because you obviously can't be running around in the underdark if you are imprisoned by the gods and have yeah. been for you know forever um, but certainly that the release of those demon lords could be a plot of that creature of chaos to to help bring himself closer to being released or itself I should say closer to being released um, and I'm actually pretty pleased with the way that I've integrated different storylines in, you know, so they, for example, they've, um, they've basically at this point gone full steam ahead through Princes of the Apocalypse. Um, they took that as their most important, uh, task, uh, finding the Dwarven delegation, right? Mm-hmm. So they went off to find the Dwarven delegation cause they, they're kind of government agents. They work for the military, mm-hmm. but they're a semi-autonomous sort of adventuring group for the military sort of thing. Right. Uh, and so they're they're running off trying to find this dwarven delegation, and they eventually track it down to the uh, what is it, Sacred Stone Monastery, which is right. where that they you know the survivors ended up going. Uh, they've skipped all the other um, you know dungeon entrances or whatever. Yeah, the like, the, oh, the haunted keeps. The haunted yeah yeah. So they've skipped all of those because honestly, if the, if the delegation is your motivation, and it really seems like it's supposed to be, there's not much reason to go to the other. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a weak ass motivation. Yeah. The hook to go to those places is is really weak. Yeah. So they just yeah. skip straight straight to the sacred stone, and it actually turned out really well because um, the monks then ended up not being much of a challenge for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the under uh, the umber hulk almost tore them in half, but the, the monks ended up not being much of a of mm-hmm. a challenge for them. Um, what level are they? Third. Okay. Really? They, yeah. they ate through the monks at level they, three. They blew through the monks. Yep. They negotiate with the lich. Yeah, so uh, and um, you're skipping ahead on me a little bit, but that's fine. No, that's how that's how they got into the the monastery. Is you know they show up at the gate and they're like, yeah, we're no, we're not interested. Sorry, Uh, but they kind of knew from something else that I was going to talk about, and I'll go back to it in a second. They knew that the lich was in there, so they're like, oh, uh, actually, we're here to meet with Rinwick, the lich, and I'm like, and they're like, um. Okay, and they made a really good, you know, deception check, and and they totally bought it. And it's like, well, we don't want to, you know, we have a truce with this guy. We don't want to mess with him. There's no other way to, for them to get to the lich without, you know, going through us. So we'll just escort them and make sure they don't snoop around too much and get them to the liches. So they went straight to the lich, um, and and the liches, of course, trying to dismiss them, and then they sort of figure out. They come to an agreement. They befriend the Lich under the promise of um, afterwards you have to go to this other – the Summit Hall and get my brother's body and bring it back, right? So that all went pretty well. And then they had – you know, they were already in the monastery and they went through and cleared up the, out the, the place. They just – we just finished as they were going descending the stairs and had gotten to the, the second level down, you know? 
but the the monks were all pretty much gone. Um, but the reason they knew about the Lich was because I integrated a little bit of Freeport into the adventure. Um, so in the first um, of the adventures for the for the Freeport, the original Freeport trilogy, Death of Freeport, um, there is this one little like the whole adventure is this priest is dead or missing. And we want you to find him. Um go follow the clues. It's a big investigation, right? And a big urban investigation. You go from, from location to location to location. And one of the locations is this pirate ship that um, the missing priest had chartered passage on in the past and apparently had on his to-do list to go talk to the captain. Um, so I took that that pirate ship and that captain and, and made it connected to one of the backgrounds of a, of a player character. One of them had to choose, Hey, one of you stole something from captain Scarbelly. Which of you was it? And then, so it came up here. Captain Scarbelly is sailing around the Disaran Island because it's a different setting, right? Um, instead of the veil. And so, um, when they meet captain Scarbelly in the adventure, He's got this thing going on where he is um, in town to make a trade with a wizard that had hired them to get a staff, a magic staff. So I did – this is sort of a, a preview of that. They were here to rob Renwick's Rin, tower to get a magic staff that would then go back to the Freeport Trilogy and be traded and, and be integrated there. And so as they're outside of the monastery, they see the scouts from the pirates up on the hill and they go and confront them and they're like, hey, yeah, uh, we, we don't have any problem with you, but you just stay out of our way and we'll stay out of your way and we'll all be fine. And they watched them that night sneak into Renwick's Tower and then, you know, there's um, spells going off and whatever and like two or three of the pirates managed to limp their way out, but but they got their the hands on the staff because, you know, it was off camera and I could do that. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm pretty sure Renwick would have just cast Cloud Kill and wiped them all out. <laughs> <laughs> right? So they avoided the combat with the pirates, um, which is also weird because they're kind of law enforcement. But they're like, yeah, did you really do anything? They actually they went to, they chased after him afterwards and like, hey, wait a minute. What would you do? Uh, we got what we wanted and we're leaving. No, no harm, no foul. Like, well, wait a minute. What did you get? What did you, you know, it's like, what does it matter? We, we, we took treasure from a monster. That certainly can't be against the law, right? You know, so um, they managed to talk their way out of being arrested because most, most things of the party didn't want to deal with having to deal with prisoners. Uh, and they just let them go after they were allowed to identify the staff and make sure it wasn't some sort of world ending artifact. Mm-hmm. So I integrated you know, there's, there's little elements of Freeport going on there. They, they befriended Renwick. Um, I've got these elements where um, the... The dwarven delegation that they're searching for includes a missing dwarf, Eldreth Felrun, from Out of the Abyss. That's the dwarven prison. Yeah, right. Right? So she's one of the delegation hmm. who was taken at a different location, but they don't know that, and taken into the Underdark. And so then when they get in they, – when they find the prisoners in underneath uh, the Sacred Stone Monastery, the prisoners are going to include some of the prisoner characters from the Out of the Abyss storyline. You know, they'll, they'll, I was thinking like Topsy and – or is it Topsy or Intervy or Tipsy? Topsy and Turvy. Topsy and Turvy and maybe Stool because, you know, everybody yep. loves Stool and he's cute. Right. Uh, will be there in, in the prison there. What about the there. gambler? 
I considered the gambler what too. What's his name? I can't remember his name now. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that and it, was it that a? I don't remember. He died in mine. Yeah, he was a he was a dark a deep gnome. It was, was a yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I considered him too. I don't remember if he's on the list or not because I was trying to figure out who would be where because one of the things they would find out from them is oh yeah Eldreth, you know sure you've rescued these guys but Eldreth she wasn't actually here she was captured by these drow over there and she was with us and and they were trying to escape in this direction so go check out that direction and then if they do go check out that direction that um, the dungeon that they would use to get into the Underdark to go rescue them uh, and find Eldreth is also the location of the second piece of the Rod of Seven Parts. And so that storyline continues as well. So it all kind of ties together and comes together. However, so far they're pretty well focused on we have to get this Dwarven delegation. Um, the Freeport stuff is interesting and fun, and I think it flavors the world well. Um, I don't see them very enticed to go figure it out. Like Their first big hook there was the first session, and it was, hey... Brother Lucian has gone missing. Uh, Brother Edgel is looking for people to go and, and look for him. You got, you know, you were asked if you wanted to go down and check it out, and they're like, "Oh, well, we don't see a hurry, so we'll get to that eventually, right?" Because they all know Brother <laughs> Lucian from their backgrounds, but they didn't see an urgent need, so they're like, "Oh, well, yeah, we'll do that, but you know, later. It's a long ways away." <laughs> and, and my thought was, "Well, okay, but if you don't get there." Brother Lucian is sacrificed and he's, he's going to be dead, you know, uh, which is fine, but there's, they are a long ways away. How do I get them the information that he died, you know, um, mm. in, in a way that's meaningful and yet acknowledges the timeline and travel and all of that? So, uh, and if I do, then is it going to be too late for them to ever actually go to Freeport? Um, because at that point, they'll have missed like all of the adventures that for for that thing and which is fine maybe they just never go to freeport and i'm okay with that but i want to at least have give them the opportunity to you know to go revisit that that option and see if they want to do it so hmm. thoughts on how i could entice them back into freeport uh, without screwing up you know time and space I don't know. I mean, yeah, my my instinct is to just sort of let things flow, right? And that they go back there if they want to go mm -hmm. back there. And, uh, you know, sometimes threads, you know, sometimes stuff happens off screen. Yeah. And part of, yeah. And that's where, what's mostly happening with Freeport now. And part of the trick is that uh, the free, original Freeport trilogy is the low level portion of all the adventures, right? All the yeah. other adventures go to decently high levels. The original Freeport trilogy is over. I think I, I figured out that I could stretch it to like level eight, mm -hmm. you know? So if they ignore it too long, it's just going to be over, you know? Mm -hmm. And either well, I, and they, that's when they come back and they find out that a bunch of stuff happened that mm -hmm. they didn't. And that's fine too. Yeah. And there's actually later Freeport adventures that could continue that storyline. And I, I don't have those, but I might check those out if they ever do decide to go back and hmm. see what happens. But yeah, my, my instinct is not to force them if they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, yeah. No, yeah. no, I didn't want to force them. I just wasn't sure if there was a way to, to make that hook offered again, or or at least give him the give him a reasonable option, right? Give yeah. give him, give him a, a yeah, yeah. airships and teleporters, ancient ancient druid circles that let them span great distances. Mm. I mean, the the thing is that that's, you not, know, that's they, not getting people from Lingdon uh, <laughs> Stone to Gontelgrim in like one week. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the thing is that you. If you want them to go back, you have to make it really enticing. And the thing is, 
if it's not just naturally more enticing, then I'm not sure how much effort you should really put, you know, put forward to mm-hmm. it. If they're already having fun where they are and they're following the leads, you know, yeah. for the story that they're playing, then I'm not sure it it's worth it to expend a bunch of energy trying to make another enticing. Yeah, and, and they're really zoned in on this whole rescuing the dwarven delegation thing, which yeah. is fine, except that some of them are way deeper into the temple, right? Um, yeah into the Temple of Elemental Evil, and they don't have access to that area yet, and, and that's fine because they'll just hunt down Eldreth, but that'll put them in the middle of the Underdark, and that creates a whole other, like, okay, you're just going to do this adventure for a while now, <laughs> you know, yeah. so, which yeah. is fine. Maybe they I, can't get them all. Yeah, and maybe they can't. I mean, certainly they've already found some dead bodies and, uh, that were right. theoretically the bodyguards, right? right. But uh, it's possible, you know. Members of the delegation could also be just gone. Sure. I mean that's that's the thing, right? When you've got a world as vast as you do, right? You know, if you sort of have these three big options, and you're and you're kind of letting, you know, using the the uh, our, uh, uh, apocalypse world equivalent of a doomsday clock, where you know things are continually ticking down regardless of the direction they take. Well, then that kind of stuff's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, big big events are going to take place that they yeah. might not be aware of or might only hear of. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that that can be frustrating, you know. I, I ran uh, Crystal Shard that way, the Legacy of the Crystal Shard, and you know I, I had you know feedback from players who said I love I love the idea of an open ended adventure until I played in it, and I was like, wow, I'm screwed no matter what I choose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you gotta you gotta be careful that like whatever they're doing is still having the bigger effect, even if they can't necessarily control the uh, other stuff. Yeah, no, and I think that's fair. I, honestly, the 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 meta story is kind of the Rod of Seven Parts story. That's what ties it all together, and that's what will become sort of the finale mm-hmm. uh, at the end. And there's no way for them to not be the the main portion of that story because they already have the first piece. And right. when you, once you have one piece, it leads to the next piece and on and on right. and on. Right. Um, so that's not – and that's really easy for me to just sort of drop the next location wherever I need it to be. Right, um, right. So that's oh. not an issue. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. I mean, it turned it up. So yeah, no. So I, I just want to – a lot of them have ties in their backgrounds to the Freeport stuff and I just didn't want to completely um, abandon – I wanted to at least remind them that that was an option and see what they want to do with it. So so we'll see what happens. Otherwise, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy right now just going with the flow and, and that's working pretty well. Uh, and if we get to the end of the Freeport trilogy in that time frame and the, the doomsday clock has gone off and um, mm-hmm. nobody was there to stop the summoning of the, you know, elder elemental evil or whatever, and, and the elder evil, you know, the Cthulhu sort of thing, yeah. um, then I guess they get back to Free... They, they finally go to check out Freeport and find out what happened to Brother Lucian and you, they find the city's been destroyed, you know, and that's fine. Good, yeah. Could be, <laughs> maybe I don't know. It's not. It's not a crucial city in the setting that you know. It's, some it's, people it's, might love that idea. You know, some yeah. people yeah. love going back. Like, oh my god, look what happened because of this choice we made. Mm-hmm. Others yeah. might be like, well, how the hell were we ever going to stop that? You know, like <laughs> right. right. That, I, I rescued this dwarf, but I lost a city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, you, you they can also always. Yeah, they yeah, they can right. also That's always true. hear tales about you know this other powerful group that rose up and helped overcome whatever challenges were there. You know what I mean? Yeah, they could. So you, Although they, I kind of don't, I kinda don't mind blowing up Freeport. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, depending on what how you want it to play out in, in your game, like, it doesn't have to end in Apocalypse. If you, 
if you want to leave that open. You oh know, yeah, you no, no, no. I think so I think if the the events of the Freeport trilogy play out, it doesn't have to result in an apocalypse at all. It could right. literally just result in the great monster appeared and tore the heck up uh, out of Freeport, and maybe maybe the great monster appeared and took over. Or maybe the great monster appeared, and that's what released the demon lords into the underdark, since they haven't yeah. been there yet to know what's, what's going on there. So, right, yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, my time is up. It is Mike's turn. Go. So I am running two campaigns currently. I'm running my um, Eyes of the Stone Thief 13th Age game. That's my Wednesday night game, and I'm running uh, Out of the Abyss as my Sunday game. Um, the Out of the Abyss game, I think we're going to get to the halfway point, and then we're probably going to switch over to uh, play Curse of Strahd uh, since that's coming out. So I'm, I'm figuring out how to sort of end that one. And I mm-hmm. think that, that that campaign has a nice, clo- you know, some good closure right in the middle. Um, what, I've, what I've been doing with that is um, that they've, they've got some sort of, you know, looming threats. Uh, they went into um, Gracklestug and negotiated with the uh, Keepers of the Flame and screwed over Themberchow, the Red Dragon. So we had a week off, and during that week I wrote like a little bit of flash fiction on what happened to Themberchow. And what happened is he used uh, his little spy, stole one of the pygmy, pygmy wart mushrooms from the PCs. And when the dragon was uh, approached by the Keepers of the Flame, who were going to kill him and replace him with a younger dragon... He took one of the uh, he he you know killed a bunch of them and then took the mushroom and turned into a tiny little dragon and flew out a crack in the ceiling hmm. and now he's in the underdark hunting for the PCs who screwed him over. Um, meanwhile, uh, the Drow, uh, the original Drow of Velkenvelv, just learned from uh, House Zolaren uh, that the PCs have survived their escape from uh, uh, Velkenvelv. And where they're headed. So now the drow are after them. And the interesting thing is the players know this because they just read flash fiction about it. The PCs don't know it yet. Mm. Um, so, you know, the players are like, wow, there's, you know, we got some badass enemies coming after us. And we don't know when we're going to face them, but it could be really ugly. So I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards some kind of big conclusion where they get to fight all these guys. And, you know, it'll be the last thing before they enter a big portal and head to Gondolgrim. Uh, right now they're in Blingdon Stone doing odd jobs for the uh, Deep Gnomes uh, until and, and uh, you know and the Blingdon Stones folks say, hey, we know where there's a portal that can lead you to Gondolgrim. We just keep it sealed off. Is that the the Pudding King storyline? Yeah, Pudding King is there. The funny thing is they avoided, so they had the options of what what they wanted to do. They went after the Were Rats okay. and they sent. Um, I, I forget what he's called in the. Uh, uh, it's the 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 sentient gelatinous cube. Gelatinous cube, yeah. Yeah, uh, they refer to him as Skelly Jelly because he has a skeleton inside. <laughs> his his way of communicating with the PCs. It, I, I guess in the book nice. it's, tele, it's telepathic. Yeah, in yeah. mine, it's a skeleton that's embedded inside of the gelatinous cube that he pantomimes with. So, <laughs> <laughs> Skelly Jelly, and he's got these giant eyeballs, and then this skeleton that kind of waves at people. He. Uh, he, you know, he managed to screw over one of the PCs. Like the the PC did something mean to him, so then he like led the PC into a gray ooze just to screw with him. <laughs> um, nice. So they sent, and then they the, sent, and then the and then the skeleton gave him the finger. <laughs> yeah, right. It, 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 that's exactly what happened. Um, so the because he had given the skeleton the skeleton the finger first, so he learned about giving fingers. Um, <laughs> So they heard about the Pudding King and said, well, let's send uh, Skelly Jelly after that, right? Like, sounds great. He'll be our spy because he's a jelly. So 
he'll figure out what's going on. So now I got to write another piece of flash fiction. I'll probably mm-hmm. do it tomorrow about Skelly Jelly, you know, learning about the Pudding King or being what because the Pudding King like has the because of his connection or whatever like mind controls all the jelly. Yeah, he'll so. be able to do it with Skelly Jelly. You know, I think maybe they'll feel the tug of it and and he'll get you know be be you know he'll be aware that this is going on, but his own sentience might save him from mm. getting. Um, so yeah, so that game's a lot of fun. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of sad to stop it because I want to try out the second half of it. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, the big storyline is, oh my gosh, demon Lords everywhere. And you never, that never really goes anywhere. That just becomes, because if you end it halfway, that just is another hazard that they avoided as they went to the Underdark. So it was right. The, the, the goal was, Hey, we escaped the Underdark and didn't get eaten by Yiganu. Yeah. You know, so I think they'll, you know, I, they they don't seem to mind that too much. I don't, okay. I don't feel like they, they, they're they not, know. They're not they're, too hooked into that. What the heck are the demon lords doing here? Well, they love the idea that the demon lords are constantly showing up and they constantly see stuff and they know about the influence that's there, you know, mm. and they've seen three of them, four of them at this point. Um, so they know they're there, but they don't, they're, they're, you know, the player goals don't seem to be, we need to go kick all their asses and get them back. You know the abyss. It kind of be cool though if your finale could have some sort of hint as to sort of yeah so how, how that wraps up. Finale is going to be them meeting Brunor mm-hmm. and Brunor saying, "Okay, welcome to Gontelgrim, and thank you for all this information. And it's time for you to head back and close those. You know, oh, close so so have them, and know, that'll be the end, right? Yeah. It's like, oh my god, and and it leaves it open if you ever wanted to go back yeah, and, and right. finish it. You could. They may want to. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice high level thing. Um, so they may want to. Uh, my 13th age game hasn't really settled in with me. I'm having a harder time getting excited about it. Uh, I think part of it is that it's like this enormous dungeon and, you know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not as invested. And part of that is like, I've, I've become pretty deeply invested in sort of all of the Watsi IP. So I love, you know, I'm very happy with fifth edition. I love running it. I'm getting more and more into the forgotten realms. I've read, you know, now I've, I, you know, I like binge read, a you know, an S ton of Salvador books. I just read Brimstone Angels. So like, there's all this kind of lore that I have rolling around in my head that I can't use. Oh, get caught up on the novels. You can start coming on episodes with us on the book club. Yeah, I know. I'm still behind though. It takes me, it takes me longer to read them than you guys. You guys hammer well, things. I did read Archmage though. And I enjoyed your, your, your talk about Archmage. Tracy and I cheat. We uh, listen to the audiobooks. Yeah. I listen to the audiobooks too. I yeah. just listen to them all the time. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of want to go back to the Forgotten Realms because it feels much richer to me. You know, there's like more and more of it that I've sort of absorbed, kind of like you. You know, you've you've spent a lot of intellectual energy sure. absorbing the Forgotten Realms, and and you know, it's it it means that when you need to kind of pull from the lore at any given moment in a game, you can just do it. Right. Right. And and I I'm not at that I'm not that proficient at it, but I'm getting more and more into that. So then when I'm like, well, now I'm just making crap up you know, with, with, uh, 13th age and particularly like how, how do the icons have a big effect when you're stuck inside of a giant dungeon, you know, mm. that's tricky. La- uh, the game I ran last night, I was very happy with, and, and I got feedback from a couple of the players that I talked to and they were, they really enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, uh, but, but yeah, it's part of it is like, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to ending that one. And then we're deciding what to do with that game too. Some folks, you know, one, one person wants to run out of the abyss 
which I'd be fine with. Another person wants to run Curse of Strahd. You should talk him into just doing the second half of Out of the Abyss. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That way I get to try all of it. Um, and then I thought about, like, what, you know, doing kind of the mashup thing. What, what you know, the, the image I had in my head was the Pirates of Neverwinter. Mm. You know, set it off of the Sword Coast and, and, you know, focus it around Neverwinter and have sort of a pirate, like, kind of a pirate sort of thing going mm-hmm. on there and leave it open and then maybe tie some other adventures in there. Are um, you up to the point uh, of... Salvatore books that Neverwinter is a thing. Yes, I'm, I'm fully caught up. Well, so I skipped a few of the books in the middle. Uh, yeah, I think oh. I stopped. I stopped with Thousand Orcs and then started off with the. Um, oh God, hers, hers go Allegni and all that stuff. The so the oh so the the four So I started with the Neverwinter cycle and moved yeah. up from there because I said I want to kind of start when the time dilation occurs. You know, when the hundred year jump. Uh-huh. I want to read through that. So when Brunor and Drizzt went in the old days, went and hunted down for Gauntogrim, I started with that. I've read all of the angsty um, Dahlia stuff, right? Uh, and I'm fully up to date with. Uh, and you read uh, Thousand Orcs Part Two, even though you haven't read Thousand Orcs. Correct. All right. Okay. Yeah, I've read Thousand Orcs. I just didn't read. I didn't read Lone, oh. Lone Show or the other one. Okay. Well, and some of those. Some of those were actually decent. So, did you like skip uh, Pirate King? That, that's nice. You think he's? I hope he's not listening. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 but, no some of them were not bad. No, no. no um. but, but I mean, there, there certainly is a moment where in the series where it doesn't like it. It continues the story, but it doesn't. It didn't grab me the way some other ones did, and then he sort of got back to grabbing me again. Um. So the funny thing, like I read them all so quickly, and yeah. I don't know how to got to my game talking about Salvador. <laughs> but I read some of them so quickly that, like, I basically remember, like, one scene out of every book. Yeah. So, like, I remember when Jarlaxle took that, um, uh, the tower. Spoilers. Spoiler. Yeah. I don't know which book I'm spoiling either. Um, <laughs> but uh, when he took the tiny little tower and had it grow inside of the building from that, you know, war- warlock guy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, that was awesome. But that's the, the only scene I remember. The Darren's in in- Instant Fortress? Man, that yeah. was like the end so of see, that book, you too. you guys are like, you guys are writing the back of one of these books. Jeff's going to have like a comment, yeah, some of these are decent. And you're going to have like, I only remember one cool yeah. scene from each <laughs> no, book. I didn't say but it was awesome. I only remember one scene because I, you know, read them so fast. Yeah. Um, but I you know, go back. I'd be like, oh, yeah, of course there was that thing. Uh, anyway, so yeah, for some reason, I, my kind of getting into the 13th gate, 13th age game has been harder. And I think it falls back to like, I've never been comfortable with the icon system. You know, like I love it and I love the idea and I've used it and sometimes it works out really well, but it's a struggle for that. Like, like don't really tie things. I'll, I'll give you an example where it worked well and where it worked well is I, I set up a little, uh, battle arena last night using the new Dwarven Forge city stuff. And I I had a big sort of monument in the center of the town, and I didn't have the monument there. And I said, whatever the monument is, is going to be based on what the icon rolls are. And so everybody rolled, and we had a couple of sixes. And I said, okay, the people who have sixes, roll off. And then they rolled, and it was the High Druid, so I put a big tree. And I said, now there's this kind of tree that they can interact with, and they can sort of use that six roll to activate the tree, and it will help them during this big-ass fight. You know, stuff like that with the icon roll is kind of neat, where it sort of mm-hmm. shapes the battlefield or shapes, you know, shapes what attacks or, you know, tells you more about the kinds of people that you're going to see. You can use them that way, but it's it's tricky to do. You know, it's not. And that, that's that, and that's that telling because perfectly clean. You've been talking about Thirteenth Age and the icons for years now. 
Right. And, and, you, it, and you've gotten advice from the designers of the game. The fact that you're still struggling with it is telling about, about how yeah, this and, whole thing like, works. And lots of people love it. I, and I don't, I don't hate it. You know, it's just, it's, it's one of these where I, like, I feel unbalanced by it. You know, mm -hmm. like I never feel like I've got my feet on firm ground. And an, another example is like, I feel really bad that like, I think like three weeks in a row, my wife has gotten fives and sixes and I've never called her on them. I've never used them. And it's because it's Prince of Shadow, and I never know how the hell to get the Prince of Shadow involved. Mm -hmm. And you but, know, but I, she's kind of hosed because she's got this icon role she never used. I think it's a play style thing because um, I have a very similar issue with it, um, although I haven't run a long campaign in 13th Age, and I finally came to the conclusion that that might be one of the reasons why. So it's really interesting to me that you're saying this, and you have been running – you know, a long game of it because I didn't, I couldn't figure out what to do about it. Like it was, it, it made my, it, it was stressful actually to try yeah. to figure out like, yeah. how could I work these in if this is like, it just seemed an unnatural way for me to approach the problem mm -hmm. because I always like to sit down and say, okay, well, what can I do to challenge these individual PCs every session or give them a little Easter egg about their character or give them a chance to let them use their really, you know, what they're really good at or what they're talented at or what they want to see. But it's harder when it's like, okay, well, I've got to think of that, but I have to think of it also for, for each of the icons, mm -hmm. depending on what their role is going to be. You know, it's, it just was, it seemed odd to me. It, it didn't. Yeah. I mean, I'm, right. I'm, I'm probably being harder on it. Uh, yeah, it's it sounds much harsher than I actually mean it to. Yeah, you, that you know? that yeah. like uh, you know some tricks that I've used with the icon system that have worked very well for me is one is I I hand out oh and I guess uh, maybe I I can't remember I think I saw this and <laughs> I never know like if I saw something that people want to keep quiet or if I saw something that I can talk about but I don't think. <laughs> I, so I don't think this is anything that was given to me. I think I heard about this in the open, that the campaign coins people are going to make icon coins for 13th Age. Mm. Oh, cool. And, and they're doing gold and silver ones with all of the icons on them, which is perfect for handing out tokens for fives and sixes to people. And I've been doing this with campaign coins already, where I give gold coins to people who got sixes and silver coins for fives. And in, in, in my kind of totalitarian statement is, it's up to you to figure out how to use those. Right, like it ain't up to me to figure out how to use all your coins. You you can mm -hmm. throw them in and use different things. And some people are great at it, and they, they say, you know, they they throw it in to say, hey, what if I? Oh, so I got to go with my best one, the best one that happened. They're they're on their way to Dungeon Town, and they go through this like gravelly area, and they find out that there's a um, is it Bulette? Is that how you pronounce it? I think it's Bulette. Bulette right? or Boulet, yeah. depending it, on. Yeah, the big land shark. Mm -hmm. And uh, the land sharks come out, and those suckers hit hard. So one of them came out, and it hit, like, the weaker mage guy for something like 70 points of damage, which is enough to kill him outright. Yeah, wow. And he's like, well, I'm dead. And I said, do you have a coin? And I'm like, he's like, I've got a five. And I said, what if he just takes off your arm instead? And he's like, okay. <laughs> and so, you know, now he's missing an arm. Like, his character <laughs> lost a limb and there's been all this stuff now he's got a mechanical one that was built by you know indigo sharp the crazy mechanical head that they're carrying around and <laughs> so he's got this you know mechanical arm that kind of works well we're always making fun of his mechanical arm but i love the idea that like yeah we had a character who lost an arm and and he had to use a coin to do so right <laughs> like, <laughs> you know talk about but it's better than nice. dying yeah yeah 
And for the record, I did find a blog entry from the campaign coins people saying that they had license okay. to do the icons. So. Yes, I'm pretty. I was pretty sure that that was not something that. Yeah, I Yeah, it was from like September. Hey, so. Sly Flourish, let us tell you about our campaign. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, so I, I'm narrowing the scope of that game a lot. They've they've got a clear path of of what they're going to do. The interesting thing is, do they want to kill? Uh, the stone thief or do they want to control it and i know that the p the players have different points of view so i want to make sure that that that's like an ongoing option to the very last game and then the last game can be them deciding what they want to do mm-hmm. and i got some other tricks too oh so uh, sorry and i know i'm over time um but one interesting thing i did that you know reminded me of the what was the i actually bought it while we were talking uh <laughs> your world building system that you microscope did. Microscope. Uh, so I, I did like the cheapest three by five card version of Microscope, which was we sat down and just I, I just spontaneously said, like, what are the other 12 ages? You know, like the age mm-hmm. of the Dragon right. Kings and the age of the old ones. And and we all went around and some people were making up jokes and we just skipped those. And then other people <laughs> came up with some really interesting ones. And I was like, we have now 12 ages beforehand. And the value of that is I can now use that to spout lore uh, during the uh, uh, during the game, you know, like nice. I, because they're in the Stone Thief and the Stone Thief has basically eaten dungeons from all of the ages. Mm-hmm. It now they could say like you know there's a cathedral to the old ones from that from the ninth age, you know, and back when the the old ones ruled over the land, like like the old one that's going to rule over uh, Freeport in your game. That's right. Um, so that was like a fun world building thing of let's just think about, you know, let's just make them up. Cause I don't think there's ever been in any, you know, in any of the 13th age stuff, I don't think they've ever described in, in Canon. And I, you know, it, that kind of goes against the philosophy they have for 13th age, you know, what are the actual ages? Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think it's kind of up to everybody to make them. That's up. really cool. Yeah. Uh, can I give uh, t- uh, a cheap trick? That I like. You can give one cheap trick. And then I'll be done. You bet. Uh, so I think that uh, GMs, and I know yeah, I certainly have the problem of when I have a lot of lore, I just want to spout it out. I just want to, you know, I just want to talk through history for 20 minutes. And, you know, everyone's on their cell phone by the end of it. And one of the cheap tricks that I've started to do is rather than me telling them the history of something, it's always in the context of either something their character knew or something their character can learn through a skill check. Hmm. And then it's just a slight shift in words to say something like, you know, you remember from the days where your old mentor told you about the ninth age, the age of the old ones, and how these, you know, alien creatures rule over the land. And you can kind of spout lore, but there's more interest from the piece, from at least that player, because they feel like that's something their character. That's, yeah, they're connected. Right. And, you know, so I, and I, I kind of think of that from the dungeon world thing where they, I think they have a skill called spout lore, which is you <laughs> roll something and then you say something, right? And and this is sort of a way for, you know, the cheap trick is ev- avoiding just vomiting narrative mm-hmm. and instead constantly forcing yourself to tie it to a PC. And the other advantage of it is it forces a GM to recognize why the PC would give a crap about mm-hmm. that. So now I got to learn more about the PCs and their backgrounds mm-hmm. in order to be able to tie it like that. So that's my cheap trick for the night. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and yeah, and at the same time, I like I never do a lot of expo- exposition and lore, 
um, I typically break up into small chunks, right? It's it's an it's comes out naturally through a conversation with an NPC, but the NPC is right. not going to go on a long, a long monologue because people don't actually talk like that unless they're recording a podcast uh, about D, about the games they're DMing. <laughs> um, you know, so people talk. You know, oh yeah, well this is a thing. And then they force people to ask questions if they want to know more. And if they don't want to know more, they don't ask the questions. Then they just never find right. out, and that's okay that's because, fine, because that's how that's how much they want. Because the yeah. Pl- yeah, the players have said that's how much they want to know. So, right. right on. Well, that is. We are at about the hour mark in our recording, and who knows, a little shorter than that with some editing and what have you. But uh, I think that's a good spot to say good night, and we'll come back in another month, and we'll talk again, and maybe then. We won't be so long-winded, and people will get to ask me about my uh, games with 12-year-olds. I, I think you should just focus a session on that one. Yeah, we'll see. I'd like to hear what new... I'd like to hear what the new young folks think of our old man hobby. Yeah, it, well, it's <laughs> short version. It's been interesting. Um, I've found that the fantasy age group, it's they're younger, but they're so they're a lot sillier and harder to keep, a, you know, school-appropriate, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um. And, but they picked up the system a lot faster, and they're they're it, like Fantasy Age is a really good system for for new players because it's it's simple but it's robust and what have you. That's that cool. sa- that said, the D and D players um, are having a lot of fun and and had a blast just with character creation to the point that after they were done making characters, we had winter break, and like three or four of the of the kids came back from winter break saying hey look i got players handbooks for christmas yeah i'm like really based on (laughs) character creation you you wanted to invest that kind of okay great and some of them got like all the core books and the starter sets and yeah one of the kids who was a player and had done nothing but create a character has now taken over as the dm for that group because the dm never read the adventure so (laughs) that's awesome yeah no it's it's going well yeah that's really that's really heartening to hear yeah there's the hi- there's the highlight version that's yeah. good yeah i like it so we'll we'll get more hey, into so it one later. quick question does uh fantasy age use specific distances or abstract distances for movement and sp- spell effects i mean there's a speed attacks? yeah i mean there, there's specific i mean it's i think it's in yards if i remember right there's a number and i think that number is yards right but i'm not i i don't even bring a uh a map or anything yeah. for, for either whether either when I'm running D and D or when, I, when I'm running Fantasy Age, I haven't brought a map once. I yeah. just, I just don't even make it an option. I don't bring it with me. Interesting. So. Anyway, that's us. We're done for March. Yep, it's March. Uh, and we'll see awesome. you all next month. Yeah. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, Bye. everybody. <laughs>